Hi, I'm Chris Sarandon. Welcome to Cooking by Heart, where we revisit the vivid memories of food we grew up with and the stories and the people attached to that time in our lives. Today, we're fittingly coming to you from JP's Diner, which is smack dab in the middle of the campus of Sacred Heart University here in Fairfield, Connecticut. Today, I'm talking to Greg Proops, who describes himself as a stand-up comic from San Francisco. The Proop Dog, as he likes to be called, is best known for his unpredictable experiences on whose line is it anyway, both in the U.S. and the U.K. He also has a hit podcast called The Smartest Man in the World. Proops is also a member of an improv group called Who's Live Anyway, which is currently touring nationally, and his book, The Smartest Book in the World, is based on that podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm thrilled to introduce Greg Proops. Hello, everybody. How are you? I'm real well, thank you. Good, good. Welcome, welcome. Something that occurred to me, we had a conversation a few days ago, and it occurred to me, one of your kind of through lines in your story is provenance. We all have a provenance, you know, where we came from. But you, your provenance is kind of trifurcated in a way. It's sort of three-pronged. Can you tell us about that, where you came from? Well, I'm from San Carlos, uh, a small white community south of San Francisco. Um, how white? Uh, home of the Plain Yogurt Festival. And uh, take the food out, the powerful taste is burning our tongues. My mother was from Mississippi and my father was from Brooklyn. And uh, so uh, it was that conflicting uh, Southern East Coast thing going on at all times. Uh, But you were also, you were born someplace else. Oh, I was born in Arizona, right? Uh, In Phoenix. We didn't live there very long. But of course, I have loads of relatives in Arizona and spent, you know, when we go back to visit, my sisters and whatnot. Uh, we were always in Arizona as well. So yeah, my mother um, had moved from Mississippi to Arizona when she was, oh golly, she must have been a teenager. You know, she had like a hundred siblings You're- and they came out. Of, I'm not kidding. This is going to sound like uh, John right. Steinbeck, but <laughs> my mother was, my mother's mother and father were farmers in Mississippi and they drove a Model A truck with all of the kids in it and the dog to Casa Grande, Arizona. This is in the 30s. Grapes of Wrath. Totally. And set up. There's a door. I'm sure there's a Dorothea Lange photo of my family. Actually, there is a photo <laughs> of them that one of my sisters had of them all in the Model A truck, right? With the Oh, I'd love to see that photo. Holding one of the babies, you know. Right. Because, you know, my family's Southern. So my grandmother was like five years older than my mother, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they went to school together. And uh, so... It, there's that side and there was a hundred over there. And then my father's family is, uh, you know, um, Jews from From, Brooklyn, from Brooklyn. Right. What was the family name? Uh, Proops. And, uh, yes. uh, Was it it shortened over time? You know, I'd love to say that it was Prupensky or something, but if I was Greek, like you, uh, I was um, Sorandonidis, actually, my family. Sorandonidis? Sorandonidis. Sorandonidis. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. It was originally uh, Prupalikas. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> no, it's actually Proops. I, I didn't really think much about it until, uh, of course, I got old enough to talk and then everyone could make fun of me. Uh, but we went to Prague years ago, my wife and I, and um, on the wall of the synagogue there, which is a famous synagogue in Prague because right. as Czech Republic, uh, 
deported somewhere in the neighborhood of 80,000 Jews. Um, wow. Was a wall of names. And on the names, uh, every derivation of proops, because Probst and Prupus and Propus and all these other names are. So there's a family, evidently, of scatological sounding names. Um, and there was famously a, a, an advice columnist in England in the 70s and 80s named Marjorie Proops, mm -hmm. who was a married Proops. She married a man named Proops. And so when I first went to England, everyone would say, are you in any relation to Marge? And what they call advice columnists in England, you might know, uh, they call them agony aunts. No, no idea. Agony aunties, <laughs> which is a, a very English. Uh, and so, yes, I'd say um, I have an aunt. Yes. And she's my agony, my agony aunt. Uh, so, yeah, they, it, my father really loved... Uh, we would have Chinese food on Sunday, which is like a, a very, very a, much a, a tradition, New York tradition. Yeah. Right. At Brooklyn Jews. And, and then uh, well, there was deli, there was a deli in Burlingame called the Brothers that we used to go to. I don't know if it's still there. I, I took my wife there years ago when we were first going out. And, you know, we'd get uh, matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. Yeah. And whatnot. He was a, that kind of thing. He was pretty heedless of what he ate. Like, uh, he would also put like, um, chocolate bars into soda pop. So there was a kind of a, a view that we had in the sixties where we really didn't care. And, um, or he didn't, we, we also did. hid. We put peanuts in ours. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Peanuts. That's right. Such a, that's a total Southern thing. And Dr. Do. Pepper. Right. Dr. Pepper. And then uh, what was it? The other one in the South Dr. Nut mm -hmm. and uh, Royal Royal crown, Royal Coleman. crown, knee high, yeah. knee high, knee high. Uh, yeah, well, then, you know, those are the days, the glory days of soda pop. But you yeah. go down to the filling station and there'd be a giant cooler out in front of the filling station. Right. Filled with ice. The cooler, and there was a Disneyland of soda pops. Inside. Right. Every flavor, cherry, orange, lime, you know. Right. Grape, grape, soda. Yeah, yeah. And mom, and, uh, uh, her family was the, was it the Savage family? Yes. My mother's family's uh, the Savages. She's from uh, Mississippi. And uh, so I still, I reckon I have cousins down there. There is the big diaspora, of course. So they all live everywhere now. Right. Texas. Uh, you know, she had a million brothers and sisters. I think there's about two or three left. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, she was well-versed in down-home cooking. And uh, then she worked at various restaurants always in her well, life. Well, that's sort of where your parents met, right? Yeah, they met at the Pink Pony in Scottsdale, which is a, a really cute uh, bar. I think it's, it's, I'm certain it's still there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when they're in training, all the ballplayers drink there. And it's uh, Scottsdale's, you know, a chichi little, now it's like a boutique chichi place. But right. It was always kind of the suburb of Phoenix where you went to party and uh, the ball clubs always played there. You know, the Giants have a club, in, uh, a spring training club in Scottsdale, right. which is my San Francisco. And uh, they, yeah, they met there. and. Um, he was a bartender and sort of itinerant, you know, ne'er-do-well. And my mother uh, already had uh, three kids. And uh, so... Now, you described but, your father yes, as a... You described your father to me as a degenerate gambler. What did you mean? <laughs> yes. That is something that gamblers call one another. Yeah. Um, it's, not, it's not my... I'm not uh, giving him the appellation degenerate. Yes, yes. 
out of the kindness of my this was heart. a generic thing mm. gamblers call each other when they have it bad um because it's a terrible ah, addiction i see when the, when gamblers have it bad they call each other degenerate gamblers meaning right. you would steal the money from the piggy bank you know anything right anything uh and they call it staying alive um are, do, are you alive meaning do you have enough money to gamble to gamble right <laughs> what was his what was his favorite uh uh horses 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 did you ever yeah. go to the track when you were a kid um i grew up at the track i was getting i was betting at the paramutual window by the time i was 14 betting and, yeah they and by the way <clears throat> no one ever asked for my identification <laughs> <laughs> I was a small teenager, a preteen even then. Right. And I would I learned how to bet so I could come up to the window and I go, oh, let me have the number seven twice to place, you know, whatever. And I wanna I wanna uh, let me wheel the three, four, five or whatever. I wanna baseball the six, eight, two or whatever. And you know, and if you knew what you were saying, if yeah, you right. hesitate. It's the vocabulary that got you in, not the card. Right? It's like yeah. when you first start to drink and you're too young to drink. If you go, I don't know what I want, they go, like, how old are you? Um, right. Or if you order a seven and seven or something. Right. Or if, if, the, you, order but if you order a stinger or if you order a, 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 yeah. a, right, <laughs> a beer with a bourbon back, you're in. Then they, yeah. That's so, uh, yeah, I, I grew up with the track betting. And, uh, so um, then what was the, do you, do, you, do you ever think about what the attraction was between your parents? Because they, they, they married fairly early on after they met, did they? They ran to Vegas uh, uh, with a couple friends and uh, got married, which is a very 50s thing to do. And, right. Uh, uh, like I said, I think I was born like uh, uh, like nine months and three days after they got married. <laughs> and um, uh, my father would say delightful things to me like... Um, the day you were born, which was October 3rd, 1959, he'd go, um, I won a bunch of money on the uh, Dodgers because they beat the White Sox in the World Series. You <laughs> all won like two grand those, a day. Those were the signposts for him. Yeah. yeah Not your birthday, game. but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so but the interim, because when I was talking about your provenance, it was Arizona, then Southern California, right? That's for right. Time. Um, we lived in um, uh, Lancaster, which is out in the desert here. My father worked on um, at the Caravan Inn, which was a, a hotel there. He worked at the saloon, and I was a bartender. I, if I can tell you this one little story, it's sure. kind of cute. I don't know. Uh, you'll remember this because so they would shoot westerns in those days out there. This is the sixties, and um, a show called "Run for Your Life" with Ben Gazzara which was one of those anthology shows where people ran from town to town, kind of like uh, the fugitive or whatever. Like right. you'd have a adventure every, or what was the Christopher George one, the immortal, right? He had, he couldn't die and they were chasing him to find out why he would live forever. Anyway, Jackie Coogan uh, was drinking at my dad's bar and Jackie Coogan, as you know, was uncle Fester on Gattles family, but was also the biggest child star in the world in the twenties because he was in the kid with Charlie Chaplin. His parents drank and gambled all his money away. And um, he ended up on the Adams family for him. And right. in any case, my dad comes home one day and he says, uh, we're going to go see the Adams family shoot in LA. We're driving into Hollywood. So I'm like, awesome. I think I was five kindergarten. 
And so we went there and uh, I'd never been in a studio, of course. And uh, I saw the Beverly Hillbillies cast going into their soundstage across the way. We went in, there was the, the, the set with Cleopatra, the plant and whatnot, which I was, wouldn't get near because I was sure it was going to attack me. And um, the door, uh, the front door set that had the knob that people pulled that made the terrible noise. So I was afraid to pull it because I thought that would, you know, I would believe the whole thing. And then the enormous living room that the Adams family lived in with the shark leg on the wall. I mean, the shark with the leg coming out of it and the tube, <laughs> the turtle. And John Aston was there in a bright blue suit reading a pink script. These are what you remember. Of course. Know? Yeah, yeah. Those, it's those so, details. Right. Right. I didn't speak to John Aston, who, by the way, is still alive. Um, and, uh, uh, but I remember what he was wearing, you know, and, and that it was all in color because on TV it was black and white. And it was so colorful. The set of the Adams family was green and in the garden and, and, uh, and, and the living room had a bright magenta rug. And, uh, uh, you know, it was it, and really Baroque. And um, so we went to see this shoot and they were down in the dungeon. Right. And so they'd fill the dungeon with smoke. And um, it was the first time I see a clapper. Right. They go uh, 15 apple. Right. And uh, they, it's him and Mama. And they shot a while. And I'm at this point losing my mind because I didn't, you know, it's, it was all magic to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Coogan comes up to sit in the, we were in the bleachers. No one else was there. It wasn't shot in front of a live audience. He comes up into the bleachers after he's finished shooting. And um, I won't repeat what he said, but it was a string of invective, <laughs> likes of which had not been heard since the streets of New York in the 20s. Right. Mothers were referenced in in terms of conjugal visits. Really, um, the male member was mentioned, mm -hmm. um, and, and it's in various uh, uh, iterations. Yep, huh. several different iterations of that, and it was a blue streak. And I was five, right? And first of all, he, Jackie Coogan actually spoke a good deal like he did as Fester in his real voice. He went, "Hey, Steve," to my dad, and then he said a lot of um, profanity and they chatted for a minute. And then I said to him, can I ask you a question, Uncle Fester? <laughs> <laughs> sure. And I go, how do you make the light bulb light up when you put it in your mouth? And I swear to you, Chris, my first experience with show business, he goes, it's a trick, kid. <laughs> in your face. Now, mind you, he'd oh. been around. <laughs> yes, around and around. <laughs> around and around. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. So, uh, uh, thank I'm you. I'm going to, let's do this. Yeah, really yeah right. Let's, let's <laughs> get back to, to home life and food <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm interested in, I, you, you've talked about the fact that your mom was just such a superb cook, but a very eclectic cook, that she cooked everything. Where did she pick all this up? Well, I think she worked at a Chinese restaurant, uh, she told me. Yeah. And, of course, her and, my, her and my father both spoke pretty good. My mother spoke, like, uh, serviceable Spanish. My father spoke fluent Spanish. And they both worked in restaurants their whole lives. Right. And when you work in a restaurant in the West, you have to speak Spanish. Exactly. And um, she'd worked at – so she could make Mexican food because she'd lived in Arizona for so long. And then she worked at this Chinese place, and she would make these awesome, like, 50s Chinese dishes for us, like, fantastically um, – Chop suey, oh, and then the tinned, yeah. the tinned crispy noodles that come in a 
pan yes. that you pour on top of it, which I thought were the living end. And um, almond chicken. Oh, yes. Which was a great big deal then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, all the different Mexican foods and whatnot. And then my father would um, want a huge Jones for like Brooklyn food. So my mother would make matzo ball soup with and really make the matzo balls and everything. And, and there, was um, a, a, there was a secret to her matzo balls, right? Well, uh, uh, ch- chicken fat is the is the key to Jewish life, as you know. It's the <laughs> right. Ma- schmaltz, yeah, schmaltz. The pen- yeah. it's Jewish on and uh, a lot of Southern food, like um, and a lot of Mexican your- food as well. Oh, to- it was always enchiladas, tostadas, um, tacos, and a taco in our family meant you took a corn tortilla and you threw it in a a. a Cast iron skillet. The cast iron skillet lived. Right. Still lives. Yes. Yeah. And um, uh, you'd fill it with about this much grease or or oil. And then the shell went in there. And then you fry it until it got crispy. And then you'd fold it. And then those folded shells went onto a paper towel. And then you made the taco meat and the everything else. And then everything was put into the... Right. That's how you make tacos. Right. And the and the and fat that they were cooked in, the fat that they were cooked in was not uh, canola oil or or oh, any heart friendly oil. It was probably not like, in those days. <laughs> probably lard. Well, she, I, you know, she didn't use bacon grease for tacos, but it, no, it would be like just cooking oil. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. reckon corn oil or something. And, right. And then the the southern food uh, was you know fried chicken. And chicken and dumplings, um, pepper steak. I don't know if you remember that particular. Oh, absolutely. It was a. We have that like, in my dad's oh, restaurant. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. It was a really popular item in the yeah. South. Yeah. Um, you don't really see it out in the West Coast very much, but uh, it, it was. It's steak and it's slightly peppery, and there's always bell peppers in it. And um, she didn't make chicken fried steak, but of course I love chicken fried steak. It's because I I don't care anymore. Um, and lima beans, black eyed peas, not grits, but hominy, mm-hmm. the actual hominy, right. which is bloated corn puff, right? Slathered in butter and salt and pepper, right? Um, candied yams, uh, and green beans. Um, and then when she made little soup, hot dogs went in it. You know, this Sliced is one of our, this is one of our degrees of separation because when I was growing up in my dad's restaurant, they served baked beans with hot dogs in them. Hot dogs? Yeah. But I mean, imagine putting a hot dog in something now and not telling anyone there's a chopped up hot dog <laughs> Right. In it. And it was, they were cut down the, yep. the thing, so they were little discs of hot dog. Right, right. And everybody loved them. That was the bonus part. When you got to the spoonful of the baked beans that had the hot dog in it, yeah. it was like, oh, so yeah. my mother... Put uh, and I'm sure your family might have done too. Ham hocks, right? Yep. So if you were making like collards or greens, rather collard greens, um, a big old messy hock of ham, which was just a fatty knuckle of a pig, would be chucked in there. Right. And that's where all the is. I used to do a joke about it. Say, if uh, you know, because people eat kale now and ramp and whatnot. Right. Kale doesn't make you cry. Um, if you ate my mother's collards. And you got that giant hunk of fat in your mouth. That's when the tear comes to your eye because it's so <laughs> rich. Right. Uh, it's co- really good collard greens are the living end. Oh, yeah. 
Now, you uh, you also mentioned to me uh, when we were speaking that it, you have a story about going to Bermuda, was it? And, going, I'm sorry. You, and, and going to Bermuda and uh, having southern, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, southern cooking there. What was that well, about? My wife and I went to Bermuda a couple of years ago for fantastically, you'll love this, the Bermuda Comedy Festival. What? And so it was five comics, I assure you. That's it. Yeah. And normally a comedy festival like Montreal or Edinburgh, literally hundreds of comics. I mean, I've been to festivals all over the world. And this one had five. And we all played in the same room, one show a night for like four nights. That was the whole festival. Just fantastic. So you got a week in Bermuda. And we went to the Marcus Samuelson, who's a famous chef who has a notable restaurants. I don't know if he has one in L.A., but certainly New York is well known. Definitely has. In, in Harlem, he just opened one in Harlem fairly recently. That's right. Yep. And, and I think I was telling you about going to Wonder the Museum of Modern Art. Right. There's one in Midtown as well. Very Scandinavian. Yep. 17 kinds of gravel locks, 15 kinds of sturgeon and whatnot. Yep. Um, the place heaving with Jews of, of a Sunday morning, you know, like just. Because the smoked fish was, you know. Right. And, um, and quite good, actually, you know. Uh, in any case, uh, we went to his fancy place in Bermuda. There was a war hall of Mick Jagger. And there was all this modern art and like a Kenny Scharf. And a, you know what I mean? Like a really, uh, you know, chi-chi. Yep. And it, Bermuda is like a, a banking haven where white people go to steal money from the world. And... Um, so it was on a, on a dock with all these, you know, pleasure boats and whatnot. And the food was down home. Uh, so it was uh, uh, the, fry, the Bermuda food, which is fried fish. And uh, then they did collards and then cornbread, whatnot, this and that. And the, the collards came and they were unbelievably bad. They were too sweet. There was none of the punch that you get. Even if you go to like West Virginia, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where if you go to a down-home place in West Virginia, they'll have in the trays the collards, the baked beans, the macaroni, the, da, 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 the white bread, you know. Right. And um, I said to my wife, I think my mother would flip over in her grave if she tasted these collard greens because <laughs> these aren't getting it done. And I was really like, I wanted to have a word with Marcus and go like, look, I know, dude, but yes, the, the, these collard greens are a terrible paltry imitation it would be like if I gave you pastrami in New York and I put mayonnaise on it and, and put it in, you know, <laughs> under a French, you know, right. uh, it's just, a, it's an insult to collard greens. Right. I know because my, my wife makes them too. And she makes them fabulous. Right. Know? Right. They're, they're supposed to be slightly bitter and then definitely fat. I mean, yep. I know if you're vegan or whatever, but the fat is what's pushing the collard greens. Fat is flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So speaking, so, speaking of flavor, uh, uh, around the family table, what was that like? Well, my dad was fairly loud uh, and bellicose, and um, but reasonably, he was funny. I think my sense of humor is a combo platter of his uh, sarcastic Brooklyn sense of humor and that sense of humor that I'm sure you're familiar with, that sort of sly Southern sense of humor. Yep. They'll say something so understated that you didn't realize they were making fun of you. <laughs> right. um, uh, because in the South, like people will say things like, you'll say to them, oh, I, uh, I have a complaint. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And they'll go, well, bless your heart. 
And that means you're an idiot. Yes, right. Uh, um, and <laughs> I don't, don't care. See, about you don't see the knife coming. No, no, because they're yeah. play. Yeah. The manners are everything. Right. And uh, did your fr- did so, your friends come over? Oh yeah, that my uh, because my mother would make far too much food for three people, and she'd make a whole lasagna or a whole turkey or a whole chicken. Right, or, the groaning yeah. table. Right, you know, a, ro- a roast beef, a roast pork, uh, whatever. So yeah, people came over and they always loved it, and because there was a tons of food and uh, gallons of milk in those days, we were kids. Oh yeah, and then of course, uh, I think we had talked about it before. Um, Sweet tea, a sun tea. Oh yeah, so that's very uh, southern, right? Yeah, you'd like in Arizona uh, when I'd stay with my sisters, whatnot. We get up in the morning and you have a jar that you've taken from something else, like you had pickles in it or whatever, a big ass jar, and um, four or five Lipton tea bags. You know, just grocery store tea. Yep, and and then. Fill it with water and then screw the lid on so that the strings are hanging out the side, but the bags are in the water. And uh, for white people who are out there, they're like, what's happening? So you, you put it on the porch out and back where the sun's going to hit right. it all day long. And then uh, bring it in about five when dinner's going to happen. And then uh, you crack out all the ice that you've made that day. And then you, t- you transfer that to enormous. And of course, in those days, big plastic pitchers that I'm sure you remember. Some of which had the plastic top that had the the lid thing that you pulled yep. up to spout pour that puppy out, right? Yep, and uh, and then uh, loads of sugar. Um, it, everything came with sugar in those days. We were talking. A friend came over the other night, and we were talking about your mother's grapefruit fork, the one that was oh yeah, like grapefruit knife, right? The specialist item that you use to carve the grapefruit up because mm-hmm. it went around them and then down the slices. Yep. Then my mother would do that in the morning and then spoonfuls of sugar on the grapefruit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Very, very clear. Now, you also told me about a friend of yours who, who made a comment about the, the, uh, uh, your mom's way of serving food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ed Krasnick. His mother had a, baz- a bazooka so she could fire a bread roll in your mouth in case you're about to have an emotion. Um, right. <laughs> Which food is a- celebrated everything. Yes, uh, right. In- anger, including feeling. Yeah. And anything you were dealing with, um, have another biscuit, um, have some more French bread. Right. And luckily, we were in the Bay Area. So um, we were in San Carlos, as I say, which is south of San Francisco. So I did grow up with all the Bay Area food, which, of course, is crab and uh, uh, sourdough bread. Um, you could always get sourdough bread even on the peninsula. Mm-hmm. And, um, so when you go, now they kind of have it everywhere. But in the, in the old days, as you know, it, regions had their own food and you didn't get it outside of there. So you, you'd go to another place and buy a loaf of French bread and it would be awful. And you're like, oh, yeah, are there Italians here? You know? Uh, Oh, and sourdough bread is a real particular flavor. It's, yes. it, it, it doesn't, you can't fake it. Yeah. Um, so uh, I always loved all the foods from uh, the Bay Area. There's a, a candy, I mean, an ice cream bar called a, an It's It. That's two oatmeal cookies and a vanilla thing in between. Ooh. I don't know. There, 
There's always specific. Uh, yes, very specific to geography. Yeah, exactly. Right? Now, uh, 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 also, when you were growing up, your aunts and uncles were important in the food world. Well, my aunt Marge lived in Casa Grande, which is just outside of Phoenix, and um, um, my uncle Ray was quite a little farmer, even with uh, living in the like a suburb there. And he had a grapefruit tree and like citrus because it's Arizona. You, you citrus grows like that. Right. And um, a swamp cooler. I think we were talking about that. When you didn't want an air conditioner or you, I guess it cost too much or something, a swamp cooler was the sort of machine that blew air across fetid water so that you could all get Legionnaire's disease. And that's how it cooled the house down. Right. You would make Rice Krispie treats and cut them in the shape of a duck or a bunny and put little candies on the eyes and whatnot. And of course I would go bananas on those. Right. And anytime we had a family thing, all my aunts and my sisters and my mother would make more Mexican food than ever had been eaten in the history of Mexico. And it would be trays of enchiladas. And of course we would go berserk as children because tacos are awesome and just make as many tacos as you could. Right. And guzzle down. Uh, and and drink as much sweet tea as you could possibly consume, and uh, they still my sister still makes it that way. And, and there's uh, a there's a kind of a genetic line, isn't there, from your sister, your mom to your sister, in terms of the oh, the recipes right. and the cooking. She still cooks that way, yes. Uh, yeah, and sent me a cookbook that my mother, um, kind of an ad hoc cookbook. My mother never sat down and wrote a cookbook, but. All of her, in her fantastic 1920s cursive, uh, you know, how to, how to make this kind of cake and how to right. make this kind of, and always like salt and, you know, uh, yeah, my sister sent me a copy of it a couple of years does ago. Your, my, does your sister, you mentioned that there was no butter in the house. Did you, no, does your sister margarine. still cook with margarine? No, they, they've graduated to, oh. like I said, my parents in the, in the sixties and seventies, the war is over. Right. is over as then we have food again and we're not on rations. So I wonder, might we have some butter and, uh, no, -uh, butter costs too much. And, uh, so it was, uh, margarine in a tub, like a red plastic tub and it with a yellow top. And then when that was gone, washed it. And then the green beans lived in there or whatever the leftovers were. Lived right. In the pot. Right. In our house, it was the bacon fat that lived there. Bacon. You know, from the uh, eggs in the morning, because you cook the bacon first, and then you cook the eggs in the fat, in the bacon fat. In the bacon. Yeah, always. And then sometimes uh, at certain places, uh, a coffee, and the, the dead coffee uh, can right. was where all the bacon fat went, yeah. so that it formed an enormous wall of bacon. <laughs> Mother cooked bacon exactly <laughs> that way, and sausages right. too. Yeah, yeah. And I'm allowed to only cook two or four meals here because my wife is an outstanding cook. She's amazing. And uh, like I said we, before we came on, she made Ukrainian goulash last night in Trinidad, yeah, yeah. which I'm very much looking forward to eating. And uh, again, uh, I'll I'll cook breakfast every once in a while, and I'll do it in the skillet with the bacon. With them now, I'll push a couple eggs for my wife, but I'll throw. A fried egg right in the bacon fat. Yeah. Oh, I should. Oh, and the, and the flavor is, is undeniable. Now, when you're traveling, because you, you travel with Who's Live anyway. Uh, oh, yeah. Your improv troupe. Uh, what do you look for? 
Um, well, when every, you're traveling, actually, what do you look for in food? When you're touring, there's nothing uh, more important than um, where you're sleeping and where you're eating. That's really the whole show. Yes, there's the excitement of performing. But, I'll, you know, how people are, they'll go, well, what do you think of our town or whatever? And you're like, well, I've seen the baggage carousel and my hotel and backstage. So you do, it's not like, although we do try to get out. So I look for a, a try to not go to chains if I can avoid it, unless you're stuck at a turnpike or something and you have to go to a Bob Evans or a Waffle House. Uh, although the Waffle House is pretty fun. Um, Waffle so- House, that rings a bell. The, you, you told me a story about the Waffle House and your, your doctor. Friend. That's right, right. Fancy Beverly Hills. Oh, please, uh, please. Orthopedic doctor. Doctor, he, he has the awesome biblical name of Ben Artsy. And because um, he's from Judea, evidently. Yes. And uh, he, uh, his parents came to visit him and he was working in Alabama and he took them to the, or as we call it in the South, the Waffle House, the Waffle House. And Waffle House, of course, is based on waffles, but the truth is it's based on hash browns. The Waffle House menu, which is a big plastic affair with pictures of the food on it, which I always love, because then you know what you're getting, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> go to a fancy place, you have to imagine it. Go to the Waffle House, there it is. Um, Everywhere. It, what is it? Hash browns, eight ways? Like they somehow they've managed to think of eight different ways to, you know, there's the onions and the cheese right. and the thing and the thing. And his, fa- his family are um, sophisticated Jewish people from the East Coast. And the mother says to the waitress, um, yeah, I'll have um, half-calf, uh, you know, uh, latte, and I want a whisper of cinnamon. And if you could, you know, do, and the waitress, what the devil are you talking about? She goes, honey, we have decaf and regular. Sanka? Trying to explain to his mother, you're at a Waffle House. This isn't like, (laughs) (laughs) you're not at the Cafe Zabarski at the Noya Gallery. You know, this isn't the Upper East Side. There's no no ordering half-calf anything here. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And if you, you know, you'll know this. uh, When you go to down-home places still in America, the toast is buttered. In L.A., when you order breakfast, the toast is not buttered. The butter comes on the side because butter is your option yes. to do. Yeah. Whereas everywhere else in America, if the toast ain't buttered already, yeah. like right. what? Yep. Yep. That's the Why? same with my dad's restaurant. The butter always arrived with the melted butter brushed onto it. Yeah. Boom, yep. boom, boom. And that, yeah, yeah. that's how. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, it's also interesting that, that uh, the, the difference in regions in the country uh, particularly now, where places where you can find what we think of as artisanal food, we think of as being sophisticated and metropolitan, when the fact is that that's sort of spread all over the country, and you get exposed to that all the time. That's the best part, I think. Especially in the true. South. Oh, my goodness. Like, uh, little towns in Tennessee, and you'll come upon a diner. Um, there's a little gay diner, and uh, uh, I can't remember the name of it. Asheville, Tennessee, and which is, you know, people, the diaspora of people from cities because no one can afford to live in a city anymore. Yep. They're not even going to Portland and Denver. That's long gone. So now they're going to tiny towns all around the Midwest, the South. So where once upon a time you would only get something crappy, now you really do get like farm to table stuff everywhere. Right. And 
And then, oh, wait, all of a sudden there's turkey sausage and vegan sausage, which that would have never happened when we were kids. And uh, so, yeah. But But you can also still get a lot of the food that your mom cooked. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. you know, black eyed peas and bread. grits, which oh. we had in our restaurant. My dad had in the restaurant was on the standard menu uh, for breakfast. Every breakfast, there was always grits, grits with a pat of butter in it on the side was served with your, your bacon and eggs or your ham and eggs. I love grits and eggs. I, re- I mean, I love hash browns more than life itself, but yeah, I really yeah. do grits and eggs. Yeah, yeah. And so like, we're going to the South uh, in two weeks time and it's going to be uh, uh North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, all over, Spartanburg, yep. whatnot, the real South and um, Dixie. Uh, and uh, that's the best part for us. Like a couple of years ago, we were playing in um, North Carolina and um, we ordered from this down home restaurant and, you know, shrimp and grits and fried green tomatoes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Crew hadn't eaten there and we'd ordered them food from it. <clears throat> and, you know, the old crew guys in the South. They're immune to any emotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd had Albert Lee there a couple nights before, which this really delighted me. Um, I said, how was Albert Lee? Because he's about 75, 80. And they go, the crew guy says to me, I'll tell you what, it was the loudest show I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) He was playing about 150 dB. (laughs) Oh, Um, boy. (laughs) And I was like, good for Albert Lee. Yeah, right. A boxy Right. He's uh, it, Albert. He's probably past tinnitus and into <laughs> nearly death. And who cares? Yeah, I mean, right. right. He can't hear him. Right. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm stealing a quote from your book, but you quote Faulkner in the book as in the South, the past is now, which uh, I love. It's so yeah. extraordinarily apt. Uh, Greg, I wish we had much more time. I want to thank you <laughs> so, so much for being here. We enjoyed having you. I wish you uh, good eating on the road. Well, thank you. You're more than welcome. All right. Uh, Greg Proops, I want to thank him for joining me today in Cooking by Heart. Uh, As a reminder, his podcast, The Smartest Man in the World, is available on uh, iTunes, I believe. And uh, Whose Live Is It Anyway is touring nationally. Also a reminder that Greg's book, The Smartest Book in the World, is available at smartestbookintheworld.com. I got mine on Amazon. You'll enjoy it. Believe me. Thank you, everybody. Great to talk to you. We'll see you next time on Cooking by Heart. Bye-bye.